Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I am with Angelica DeVere Mabry, who is the CEO of the Donima Estate. Thank you, Michelle. Angelica, you are just like this fantastic woman with a really fascinating career, and you are currently at one of my most favorite properties. Everywhere you look, you discover something new and beautiful. And then on top of it all, you have fantastic wine. Yes, thank you so much for that very positive review. I I agree with you completely, of course. I think uh, the Donham Estate is an incredibly special place in wine country, particularly because it's very multidimensional and this element of discovery and surprise. So around every corner, there is something new to to see, to feel, to touch, to hear. And I think that that really sets it apart. And the wines, of course, are incredible, very, very representative of the different appellations that we grow in from Russian River to Anderson Valley, back here to our home ranch in Carneros. So we're very proud of this incredible place and, of course, always love sharing it with people. Well, I always enjoy being here, and it is a true treat to be sitting with you today. So let's dive in and talk about your career, because it's a little diversified. You got a great foundation in wine at Constellation Brands, but then what kind of threw me for a loop, you went on to work for 1-800-Flowers. Can -hmm. you explain that? What was it about that opportunity that enticed you to make a change? Absolutely. So it sounds like a radical shift, but in fact, it actually wasn't. And so um, just going back to sort of the beginning of my career in the wine industry, I started with Robert Mondavi Winery in... 2000 um, when the Tokalon project had just been completed and they were really looking to reimagine or reinvent um, tourism, you know, tourism in in Napa Valley. And so we was working with a lot of very, very smart people that had a lot of different ideas about how to, to create a deeper, richer and more engaging experience at the winery. And so I was fortunate to be part of that for four years. And then in 2004, Constellation acquired Robert Mondavi Winery, and I went with that acquisition. Mm -hmm. So as part of that, my scope broadened, and I became involved in a lot of their other properties, including Franciscan, Simi, Ravenswood, et cetera, and ultimately evolved into owning all of the DTC or direct-to-consumer channels, which included Club, um, in that, at that time, emerging digital, so e-commerce, uh, brand partnerships, and all of the retail operations. So that was, that was a really fascinating um, experience for me, certainly working for a large corporation like that. You have a lot of discipline in the day-to-day, and you really learn you know, sort of how to manage across a very broad spectrum of needs and brands of, at all different price points and with very different profiles. So when I left Constellation, uh, I actually went to work with 1-800-Flowers running their wine division, which oh, was cost okay. wine tasting.com. And so 
for me, that was really interesting because it was a much deeper dive into the digital side of selling wine online, which in those days, even back in 2010, even today, I would suggest, is still not as heavily leveraged as it could be for the wine industry. And so I went there to learn a lot more about that. And I was also on the senior leadership team there to talk about potentially opening a uh, retail, brick-and-mortar, winetasting.com store in downtown Napa, which ultimately didn't happen, but it was a really good experience for me overall. You left that role and then kind of, in my opinion, honed in on individual brands and held leadership roles at those brands. So you worked for Sullivan Vineyards, Bonnie Dune, and Cornerstone, mm-hmm. which set you up perfectly to come to Donham at the state. That's exactly right. And so after, as I mentioned earlier, as I worked through the Constellation opportunity, which was fantastic, I really found my passion working for smaller producers, uh, family-run businesses, that where we could take what I had learned in a large environment and apply it in a smaller environment and really be very dynamic and create a lot of meaningful change in a business in relatively short order, having had all of that experience and discipline working in these other businesses. And so that was how I found myself back in a senior leadership at my first CEO role at Sullivan Vineyards, where we were able to make a lot of changes very quickly, and then on from there. Bonnie Dune was a one-year consulting opportunity that I had with Randall Graham, so working with him very carefully, which was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, super fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he Just such an incredible person, and who's made so many important contributions, and continues to make so many important contributions to the wine industry, um, and then ultimately landed here at the Donham Estate in 2019. Don't you like working for one brand. Yeah, I think that's a really accurate assessment. You know, I started, as I I mentioned, with Robert Mondavi Mm -hmm. Winery, so a singular luxury brand that I admired and respected and and was really excited to be part of that incredible team. So I have really just come full circle in a lot of ways to come back to a singular brand. I also love that this brand and the other brands that I've worked with are rooted in the community. They're rooted in place. I find it more soulful. You know, that's the word that I often use to describe working with smaller family brands like this. There's a why behind it. And there's a lot of passion, not just from owners, but also our teams that we build here with the people that we work alongside, our children go to school together, whatever it is, but it's all part of a community. I love that part of it. It's very important to me to have those sort of deep roots and relationships in this place. So along the way, has there been a mentor or two that has helped you along the way that you can speak to? Certainly early in my career, there were quite a few women that really inspired me. I think back before I even was part of the wine industry and I worked for Saks Fifth Avenue in San Francisco in the Fifth Avenue Club, which is their private client division. And there was a woman who led that division, Katie Kadar Lynn was her name at the time. I um, remember it. (laughs) I do. I do because she made such an impression on me and she was incredibly dynamic and she was really powerful in a very sophisticated and elegant way and she really pushed me to to think about things differently and to challenge myself and and never to be satisfied with what was just in front of me and I think that ambition and that drive and and that inspiration to not to be deterred by things that seem really hard and that are incredibly challenging she really really 
pushed me harder than anyone else that I've worked with in the past. All in a very, very good way from like this really strong belief in, in myself, in, in her belief in me, and so that was really powerful. Certainly working at Robert Mondavi Winery with Margaret was also very inspiring. You know, that's once again, another once in a lifetime opportunity to work alongside an icon in the industry who really changed American wine you oh, know, sure. for all of us. And I, I think, you know, she is another one who always strove to really do everything at the highest level. No detail was too small. And so I feel like that's been a really inspirational experience for me too as my career has developed and I look back at the people who have touched me the most and the ones that I still refer to in my own mind for inspiration and, and, and guidance. When the opportunity to come to Donham presented itself, what was it about this property that really appealed to you? I mean, this place is magical. What did you find appealing? What did you think you could bring to the position? And what have you done so far? When I first was introduced to the idea of coming to Donham, I actually was unfamiliar with it. And so I came out on a like really rainy Saturday in January. The gates opened and I drove through and I, I didn't know what I was going to discover on the other side. But, you know, as you approach Donham, you see the monumentally large, beautiful sauna head by Home Plenza that greets you as you drive in. And it really requires that you sort of stop and notice where you are. There's like this moment of presence and mindfulness. That was the beginning of my journey to discovery with Donham and, and coming in and tasting the wines and having an experience here and thinking there's so much here to understand and to share and there was so much potential to grow because in 2019 the operation was much smaller and so we were making a lot less wine. Uh, you know, Donham had been making between 1,500 and 3,000 cases for a really long time. And we had a, done a lot of significant replanting of the vineyards. So there was a plan to really grow the volume. And with that, to, to come up with some strategic ideas about how we can do that in a graceful and elegant way and, and create opportunities for our members to have access to more and different wines. And so that was what really excited me. I think going back to what I was describing before is that there was just all this potential to really optimize what was happening here and operationalize what was happening here and to create a world-class destination that really finds itself at the intersection of fine wine, sustainable farming, and art. And so that's something that I've been focused on since I arrived here four years ago are those three things that I'm really passionate about. What I find interesting about what you said is that you arrived not knowing anything about property, mm -hmm. not not being here before. Mm -hmm. You really, it was an uncharted territory, mm -hmm. which kind of speaks to the fact that it was kind of hidden and unknown. And you've kind of brought it to the forefront, I believe, since you've come on board. Thank um, you for saying that. Which yeah. is much needed, yeah. <laughs> because it is truly this gem of a place that, uh, as you said earlier. Everywhere you look, you're surprised by something new. It's just breathtaking when you're here, what you find, you discover, and mm -hmm. experience. Exactly, so. and I think to talk a little bit more about what sets Donham apart and makes it really mm -hmm. special, um, and certainly couldn't be ignored upon arrival, is that we have 
this incredible contemporary art collection here of monumental sculptures. We're, we're now at almost 50 installations throughout the property representing a global community of artists. Almost half of them are site-specific, meaning that they were designed or created by the artist for Donham based on the, the inspiration that they found in so many different places from the property itself. I mean, not to mention that it's incredibly picturesque with the rolling hills of Carneros and the incredible views of San Francisco, the Bay, but it's just the coming together of the three pieces, the wines, which are just absolutely incredible, the highest rated wines in the Appalachian Bar None, and then you add in this contemporary art and the beautiful backdrop of the landscape. It's, it's a unreal. Like no acres here, a hundred of which are planted to vine, and the rest is just left in its sort of original natural. organic natural mm-hmm. state to be explored. So, all that being said, top moment of your career so far? You know, I don't think it's happened yet. I think that... <laughs> I think that I'm, I'm living so it so far. Yeah, I think I'm living it right now, Michelle. Maybe. Actually, Maybe. you know, I, I, I typically don't look back and, and mm-hmm. think that yesterday was better than today or better than tomorrow will be. Right. So um, I feel like I'm living it right this moment. This is such an incredible project to be part of. The team that I get to work with every day, the ownership, everyone involved in this project is so incredibly passionate about it that it breeds this type of excitement and enthusiasm. So it's now. What do you want guests to take away when they visit here? What I always hope is that what we've created here really allows and facilitates people to have a very unique and deeply personal experience. So you'll notice when you're walking around Donham, uh, there are no signs, there's nothing explaining, you know, that we have a Kusama pumpkin as you approach, or that we have a Louise Bourgeois incredible spider sculpture on the property. There's nothing explaining to you the backstory of that. Certainly you can find this information on the website, and you can, we have an audio tour, but we want people to experience it in its on their own terms. And that's what Donham does. It really allows people to come here, refocus in the moment, be present, be mindful, and take it all in for themselves. And we want to make that as seamless and comfortable and memorable as possible. And that's what we strive to do in every beautiful detail. So it it doesn't feel particularly choreographed, but of course it all is. And I think that my team does such a spectacular job of making every visit unique and every visit personal. Do you have a hard time getting people to leave? (laughs) (laughs) We do, actually, but we plan for that, Michelle, of course. We, We plan that people will come and that they will take their time and they will wander and discover and really take it all in. And so we let people do that. That's the goal, is to let them make a lasting connection with the brand and with the place and with the people. The people are such an important part of that experience. How much wine do you make now? Uh, this, well, the lar- I think 2021 is our next release. Of course, 2020 was a strange vintage because of fires and that sort of thing. So it was a smaller vintage for us. Fortunately, uh, we did have wine from our Carneros home ranch. Uh, but 2021 will release closer to 10,000 cases, which is certainly the top volume that we've had now that all of our vineyards are producing. We are 100% estate, meaning we only use our own fruit and we only do our own farming in-house. But we have ranches in Russian River, we have one in Bodega that's in development, and then we have the 200 acres here in Carneros. 
How many different varietals? Mm. We make uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. We have a teeny little bit of uh, Merlot um, here in Carneros over on our Ferguson Vineyard, but we don't. That that's new, and we haven't started selling it, so it's relatively secret, if you will. Not anymore. <laughs> just, just told everybody. <laughs> the secret sound. Many of those, you make a, a couple of different, a few different Chardonnays. You make a few different Pinot Noirs. So it's not like you only make one Pinot and one Chardonnay. No, we... you're making single vineyards, right? Yeah, yes, very much in the Burgundian style. We have, I, don't, I think we have 15 different SKUs uh, now because we're very, very focused, not just in single vineyard, but in some cases, single block. And so what we're trying to do is really capture um, the essence and the energy of certain parts of the site that have very clear and distinct expressions. And I think our, our winemaker, Dan Fishman, who has been with the brand and making the wine here for over 10 years, does an incredible job with that. He really understands the site and what the possibilities and potential of the individual vineyard blocks, how that can express itself. The hidden gem in the portfolio? You know, I think for me it, it changes, but I am a huge fan of the East Slope Pinot Noir that, we, that comes from this property right here. The crowd favorite? Uh, you know, it's, again, deeply personal, but if I had to choose one, uh, I would say that the Russian River Reserve, or even the Russian River Estate, really is that big, beautiful, fruit-forward, juicy Pinot Noir that people love and respond to, so I'd say that's the crowd favorite. You're a mother of three, you are a CEO. How do you juggle it all? You know, it's successfully because I think you actually have conquered this. So you need to spill the beans. It's a really interesting balancing act. I have three children of varying ages. One is 17 and she's a junior at Justin Siena and thinking about college and what that's going to mean for her and, you know, in some ways much more independent but also in some ways really needing a lot of guidance and a lot of support. So that that that's one ask. And then I have a 15-year-old son who is a freshman at Justin Siena um, who's, you know, sort of in his, you know, own self-exploration mode trying to figure out, like, what what's passionate and what makes him tick. And then I have a little 10-year-old who's in fourth grade. So they all have very different needs. And I often say that it's the greatest accomplishment of my life is, is certainly being their mother. And I have you know, an incredible relationship with each one of them, very different, very different dynamics. I think that's typical for moms. But balancing it all is tricky sometimes. You know, that you want to be at every dance recital. You want to be at every basketball game and every lacrosse game. You know, I've built a really good network of support around me, especially I think in the younger years before the older two could drive and, and help out more. We had nannies that, that were really, really instrumental in giving me the space and the time to do a lot of what I needed to do professionally. Because my husband is also very busy. He's also a CEO. He's also an entrepreneur. So, you know, there's there's high demand. There are high demands on our time. And because my children are, of course, my first priority in almost every situation, it requires a lot of support. So that's how I do it. Um, sometimes I feel like I do it better than other times. But overall, I think we, we all work together as a really good and supportive family unit, and that's what makes the difference. I also just feel compelled to, to say that it, it's all worth it, right? Like, you know, there, there are exchanges and trade-offs in places where I wish I had more time to give, but when my children, my daughters in particular, look at me and say um, how proud they are 
of me and of the work that I do. And, and they say Donham, you know, they love Donham. They're so proud of Donham. They love coming here. Like that, then that's a, that's a job well done for me, that they understand that what I'm doing is not just about being a CEO and running a winery, but it's like also inspiring them to think about what they can do with their lives and that you can balance both. You can be a really engaged and, and inspiring mother at the same time as you can be a really strong and successful business person. So I value that a lot. Well, everybody should take note. (laughs) (laughs) Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's shift on to your personal life. You live in the town of Napa. You could live anywhere. You could live in the town of Sonoma. You could live in St. Helena. You could live down in Marin. How did you choose Napa? That's an excellent question, um, actually. I, I, I don't know that I ever actively chose Napa so far, insofar as like I preferred it over other locations. I lived in St. Helena before, and um, I've never lived on, in Sonoma. But I love Napa right now at this part of my life because the schools are very nearby, so we live literally blocks, like five minutes from Justin Siena, which is really helpful. Um, my little one goes to St. John's Lutheran, and that's seven minutes away. So that's that's been great. You know, I don't even think I had the foresight at the time when we were making the decision to buy the house where we are that that would be so convenient, but it has turned out to be an incredible advantage. Um, I also love just the community. Napa, you know, with sports and all of the different things that the kids are engaged in, um, it's been an incredibly vibrant and supportive group of families and and parents and that we all sort of cross-collaborate to help with our children, getting them to games and doing all these different things. And I I, I just don't have enough positive things to say about that group of people and and just how instrumental it's been um, in our, our development and our, our thinking around community, like as, as a family, we talk about that all the time now, that you know, this is your community, these are the people that, that, that we love and that we're connected to in all these different ways. And I really, I don't know that I knew that as a young person growing up in Napa Valley and then moving away and coming back, but it really is so special. It is unique, it's a unique place. And now Napa, the town of Napa, has really come into its own, and that makes it even more appealing, I think. Absolutely. We took a step inside your home. What would we see? What's your decorating style? (laughs) I think it's a little eclectic, actually, because my husband and I have very different (laughs) ideas. Oh, Lordy. Okay. I can't wait to hear. (laughs) And and, and fortunately, he's always been um, incredibly deferential and understanding if I want something. But, you know, I try to do the same back. So Mm -hmm. what would you see? Um, You know, I think... Our spaces are all really designed for family living, and so you know my house is, our home has been described by other people as feeling very warm and inviting. You know we have the the big you know, sectional couches where everyone can sit together and gather, whether it's for game night or Christmas or whatever it must would be. I, I tend to like gray a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Dark gray, light gray, <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> I have a lot gray. of shades of gray apparently okay. in my house now that I'm thinking about it Michelle but it is it's it's really comfortable and it's designed for like family living and uh, bringing us all together and giving us all space to kind of laugh and and watch movies and hang out so you know really unpretentious you know we don't not we don't really have um, you know anything of fine art in the house or anything that's particularly fragile because you know 
we have three kids running around and a French bulldog. So he's his own, he's his own little force of nature that (laughs) dictates some style choices in the house. So I have to ask when you kick back and relax, what kind of music do you like to put on? My taste in music really runs the gamut. You know, I grew up um, with, uh, my mother was really passionate about music and growing up in the 60s and the early 70s, listening to the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Janis Joplin. Those were really early influences for me, but also Simon and Garfunkel and, you know, all the greats, of course. Um, As I sort of came into my own musical taste, I was really, you know, very excited about the Smiths and you know all the sort of young 80, 80s alternative new wave kind of music, um, which I still listen to and still share with my kids. I, I'm really passionate about it, and they all listen to all these different bands and songs and albums from across all the decades. So I, I don't think that I'm particularly committed to one style. Um, I really appreciate so many styles from from like classic rock to new wave to hip hop but when you're relaxing Mm -hmm. what are you putting on you know i'm I'm putting on compilation like playlists that have all of that music kind of represented in it and i can say you know like i will self-identify as really loving lyrics and and i have like what's not the right word but a photographic memory for lyrics and I can remember every word to every song and so I really enjoy that I find it very relaxing to sort of just listen to music that I'm familiar with I'm not going to put on like the heat on Sirius and like listen to songs that I don't really I haven't really heard before I think I like to go back in time time. when I'm relaxing and like listening to things I find comfort in that um, in the familiarity of it so I think that's the answer but it's across all different styles all right I know you have children, you've got work, (laughs) you have a husband, but do you have time for a hobby or do you collect anything? Running is actually my hobby. hobby? Oh my goodness. So I love to run. I love to run. Do you run run on the street or do Mm -hmm. you have a treadmill? Both. So Mm -hmm. um, I used to run a lot more outside when I had more time and especially during COVID when uh, we had more time at home, I would run in the mornings and in the afternoons and so I'm a distance runner at heart I love that Uh, but now I use my Peloton more frequently and for shorter durations so but I still do it almost every day so that's a really healthy way I find for me to unwind it's like me time it's almost you know I find it meditative because there's all the breathing that's happening and there's really at some point along and Dan and I often talk about this because Dan Fishman also runs marathons and there's just that moment where you cannot really let your mind focus on much else other than the breath and the motion and the cadence and I that's that's really helpful for me is there anything people might be surprised to learn about you. Do you skydive, rappel down mountains? Did you, <laughs> did you do something crazy as a child? Something mm. out of the ordinary? Well, I, I suppose you know, I've always had a great passion for travel. Um, I moved to France for the very first time when I was 19. I was a French literature and, and a political science undergraduate double major. And I went to Avignon in my junior year for a year abroad and just absolutely fell head over heels in love with being there and experiencing other cultures. And in those days, you know, you were still taking the Eurorail and you had the Europass and um, exploring other countries by train. And that really resonated with me. That really struck a chord. And so I came back. I ended up graduating in absentia 
going back and attending uh, the American University of Paris, working for the French Ministry of Education for a year, and then going back to the Institute of Political Studies to do a certificate program in political science. So spent a very important part of my 20s living in France. And um, I'm mostly uh, fluent in, the, in French. I think I've lost some since I've been back in the US, but I'm very, very, I'm a Francophile, 150%. Uh, I, and I l like to get back as often as I can as I've sort of moved forward in my career and with children, I do it much less, but um, very, very passionate about it. That's fascinating. We're in the Napa Valley. Very hospitable environment. What do you think is the secret to a successful dinner party? Secret to a successful dinner party to me always comes down to having the right people at the table. I think that this is almost true for everything in the world. Like secret to a successful business is having the right people. people. Um, but you know, having a mix of personalities and, and experiences and backgrounds and the energy that is created between us is really the most wonderful part of life. You know, meeting you, being here with you today is an experience that I will long remember and it's the energy that's created in conversation and the energy that's shared between us around passions and, and things that we don't agree on and all of this. So I think if you have some really beautiful Donham wine, yes. you have incredible, it could be snacks, it could be cheese and beautiful bread and high quality, really simple ingredients, but the right people at the table just brings everything together and makes, makes magic. So that's, you know, it really is about energy and getting the right people in the in the same place at the same time. There you have it. Do you have a go-to dish that's always a crowd pleaser when you're having people over? You know, I'm I'm a big fan of healthy food. So there's a particular salad that I make that I learned to make when I was living in France in actually in um, Chateau Renard, which is right outside of Avignon. It's a very small town. And I lived with this family, and they, they lived literally from the land. And they had been there on the same piece of property forever. And so the mother would go out, and she would they made their own olive oil. She would get her own veggies. She would bring them in. And it was just the simplest ingredients, but just such an incredible depth of flavor, making her own vinaigrette with a, a, a clove of garlic that she would sort of scrape over the tines of the fork and then cure the bowl with it, add salt, add pepper, add a little bit of Dijon, some beautifully fresh olive oil, and a little bit of vinegar. And that combination on any sort of fresh leaf is absolutely incredible that it just and I make it every time and everyone loves it because it has such powerful flavors from the garlic and yet they meld perfectly together and really it's standout it sounds incredibly simple and it is but it's really good we're all gonna try it now, right <laughs> other than living in France is there a meaning another meaningful trip that you can tell us about I've had so many uh, wonderful adventures. I, I'm actually looking forward to a trip that I have coming up to Hong Kong in May. I'm going for a couple of weeks to do a brand launch for Dawn. I'm with Dan and the ownership. I went to Hong Kong actually while I was sort of looking at this opportunity and that was a really memorable experience for me. I haven't spent a lot of time in Asia and so landing there and exploring that city and sort of getting my arms around how different it was in not just in land landscape it culturally and all of the energy in that city pre-COVID of course um, was was really memorable and really 
significant in my sort of travel log. You know, I've done a lot of tr European travel, mm -hmm. and I think that Hong Kong was maybe the most memorable because it was so incredibly different from what I've done in right. the past. And here I thought maybe you'd say your honeymoon or something. Our honeymoon wasn't, I don't even know that we took a honeymoon because we had children. So the, um, this is, we're a blended family. Right. So I had, I had two, he had one, we had one together. <laughs> <laughs> there, so there's never really been time for, right. <laughs> for that. Okay. Yeah. I think you need to have one. <laughs> I, I think you just inspired me that I need to get that on the books. Absolutely. Well, before we wrap things up, I'm curious to know what your favorite spot is on the estate here. I think like many people that come to Donham, one of my favorite spots, I have a couple. I know. There's, it's hard to, it's hard to it narrow it. It is hard to narrow it down. <laughs> but so I, I'm going to do my best to answer right, the question. Please do. Uh, is, there's a large stainless steel, very large, heart uh -huh. that sits at the top of our highest hill on the property and uh, it's called Love Me by the artist Richard Hudson. And when you drive or walk up to that highest point, not only can you see all of the incredible rolling hills and this at this time of year, of course, a tapestry of beautiful shades of green and, and vibrant living mustard and you know, cover crops on our property. But you can also see San Francisco from that point. And you can see it quite clearly. So you have this really sharp contrast of you know, this metropolitan, beautiful, vibrant city that we all love from this vantage point in the middle of the most bucolic place that you could imagine in some ways. Um, it's really, really a powerful contrast. So that I would say, you know, that's definitely in my top three favorite spots at Donham. Top three. It's, <laughs> it's one of my t top three, I'm going to say, too. <laughs> Might be my top one, but I love that spot, too. Well, we are going to wrap things up with five quick questions. They are really, really lighthearted. What kind of car do you drive? I drive a BMW X5 that has room for my French Bulldog and my children. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite city in the world? Paris. <laughs> there you go. What's one of your all-time favorite movies? Um, I would say one of my, uh, there's so many again, but my all-time favorite movie, I'm going to say, so Gone with the Wind definitely is one of my favorite films. I've seen it. 250 times we owned it as a when I was a child on VHS it's forever imprinted on my mind I love the the visuals and also just the storyline of mm. overcoming and it's beautiful that kind of surprises me but I'm I like it what's your favorite flower my favorite flower is a peony and last question what's in your nightstand in my nightstand I have reading glasses and a notebook so that when I have ideas, thoughts, things that I want to capture first thing in the morning, I write them down there. Um, and also some really beautiful scented candles. I'm a, I'm a sucker for aromatherapies and, you know, nice smelling things, you know, especially in the bedroom. I just really find that incredibly comforting. Okay. Angelica, you are a delight and this has been super fun. Thank you. This was really fun for me too. I'm so glad we had the time to sit down together and, and chat. Thank you for being here. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.